Listener discretion is advised. This episode features discussions of suicide. We advise extreme caution for listeners under 13. If you or someone you know is experiencing suicidal thoughts, don't hesitate to call or text the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988. It was the last day of September 1913. The salty ocean air felt crisp aboard the SS Dresden, a steamship headed from Antwerp, Belgium to Harwich, England. On board, George Carrolls waited for his friend and business partner, Rudolf Diesel, to join him in the dining quarters. They'd spent the previous evening drinking and laughing together and were set to meet for breakfast that morning. The two men were traveling to the opening of a new factory, one that would manufacture Rudolf Diesel's internal combustion engines. They hoped the business would make them a small fortune. But as the minutes ticked by, a knot of worry formed in Carol's stomach. Rudolf was notably absent. Had he overslept? Eventually, Carol's anxiety got the better of him. He made his way to Rudolph's room, cabin number 18, to check on him. Little did he know, the previous night was the last time he'd ever see his friend. Because by morning, Rudolph Diesel was no longer on that ship. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Monday and Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This is our first episode on the mysterious disappearance of Rudolf Diesel, inventor of the world-changing diesel engine. His design had a major impact on the shipping and transport industry by offering more power and greater possibility at an even cheaper price. Today, we'll cover Rudolph's tumultuous life, from his humble beginnings to his discoveries and inventions, all the way to the night he disappeared. Next time, we'll look at two theories that may explain what happened to Rudolf Diesel. Some say he was killed by German government agents, while others think the inventor may have faked his own death. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. Armor All. Less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Aside from steering clear of the diesel pump at the gas station, most of us have never actually heard of the man behind the invention, Rudolf Diesel himself. He revolutionized the shipping and travel industry, changing the world as we know it today. His engines were a massive contribution, and yet he wasn't substantially covered until 30 years after his death. But there are many layers to Rudolf Diesel's life, which extend beyond his legacy and his mysterious death. And it all starts in Paris in 1858. Rudolf Diesel was born in the City of Love on March 18th of that year. Both of his parents were German by heritage. His father, Gottlieb Theodor Hermann Diesel, was a third-generation bookbinder and his mother, Elsie Strobel, was a trilingual English tutor. Theodore, as they called Diesel Sr., had moved to Paris from Bavaria, Germany in 1850. He hoped his bookbinding skills would help him transition into running a leather goods shop. Unfortunately, his business never took off. From early on, financial troubles plagued the family, which only worsened as they expanded. The Diesels had three children, a boy and two girls. The second-born, Rudolf, was said to be sensitive and curious. From a young age, his favorite place was the nearby Technology and Science Museum. He'd spend hours wandering the exhibits, marveling at the feats of engineers, dreaming of ways to change the world. While his father was an old-school disciplinarian with his feet firmly planted on the ground, Young Rudolf had his head in the clouds. As a result, he was always getting into trouble. One particular occasion stood out to his biographer, Lyle C. Cummins. While his parents were out one day, a nearly 12-year-old Rudolf grew curious about his family's cuckoo clock. He wondered, where exactly did that little bird go when the tiny doors closed? He simply had to find out. So Rudolf disassembled the clock. Then, captured by the complexity of it all, he examined each and every gear. Unfortunately, putting it back together proved much more difficult than taking it apart. For all his intellectual curiosity, the boy was yet to become great with his hands. When his parents arrived home from work, they found the clock still in pieces. Theodore was determined to teach his son a lesson. He announced he was taking the family to visit a medieval castle on the outskirts of Paris. But Rudolf? He was to remain at home alone, tied to a piece of furniture. 
Rudolph's strained relationship with his father continued throughout his life, but unforeseen circumstances made sure he wouldn't be under Theodore's roof for much longer. In 1870, the start of the Franco-German War brought an abrupt end to the family's time in Paris. Germans living in France were deported, so the Diesels packed up their things and relocated to London. After a short time in Britain, for uncertain reasons, it was too expensive to keep the whole family together. Twelve-year-old Rudolf was sent back to Augsburg, Germany to live with a cousin. This would prove to be one of the most pivotal moments in Rudolf's life. His cousin and her husband were a highly educated couple. As academics themselves, they recognized the intellectual curiosity in Rudolf and saw it as a strong quality. They supported and nurtured his pursuits and fostered his love of learning. They also enrolled him in a polytechnic school, specializing in a wide range of vocations. Two years into his education, the 15-year-old Rudolf decided what he wanted to do with the rest of his life. He wanted to become an engineer. When Rudolf visited home and announced his goals, his father was less than supportive. Theodore told him engineering required years of extra schooling, which the family simply couldn't afford. Instead, he advised his son to drop out and start earning money another way. But Rudolf had unwavering faith in himself. He knew he was destined to become a world-changing engineer. And although his father didn't support his dream, others did. Rudolf's cousins continued to house him as he finished his final two years of school. He graduated in 1875 at age 17. He was the youngest in his class, and yet he received the highest marks ever given to a student. Rudolf's stellar performance all but guaranteed his acceptance into the prestigious Technical University of Munich. But there was still the issue of finances. At the time, Rudolf was making money by tutoring in English and French, but those earnings were nowhere near enough to finance four additional years of school. That is, until he encountered a bit of luck. A professor at the university had heard about the promising young Rudolf Diesel. Not wanting a wonderkin to miss out on the opportunity, he offered the young man a scholarship. Needless to say, Rudolf was thrilled. He didn't know it then, but convincing others to support his goals was a skill that would serve him repeatedly throughout his career. Rudolph's years at university were some of his happiest. He studied hard, earned good grades, and took advantage of the social programs the school offered. The only thing left to do was figure out what kind of engineer he wanted to be which he discovered after attending a mind-expanding lecture on thermodynamics. During the talk, a German scientist and engineer specializing in refrigeration named Dr. Carl von Linde talked about those who'd inspired him, including Nicolas Léonard Sadi Carnot, a famed French engineer and physicist. Carnot thought it was theoretically possible to create a hyper-efficient combustion engine, one that used a cycle of heating and cooling, which he self-titled the Carnot Cycle. 
At that point, nobody had figured out how to utilize the Carnot cycle in a heat engine. In fact, many believed it was impossible. But where some saw a challenge, Rudolf Diesel saw opportunity. In the late 1870s, steam engines powered most of the world, converting heat made by steam into movement. But steam engines had a few downsides. First, they were huge. They needed large boilers to heat water to create steam, which would then be piped into the engine for power. They were also expensive to build and maintain. Another downside to the steam engine at the time was its efficiency. Most lost a majority of the heat they produced. Rudolf thought if he could design a fuel-powered engine that followed the famous Carnot cycle, he could minimize energy loss and maximize the amount of work performed. He just had to figure out what fuel worked best. After graduating in 1880, Rudolf moved back to Paris to work as an engineer at Dr. Linda's refrigeration company. While there, he gained hands-on experience in thermodynamics. But more importantly, he made a game-changing discovery. Refrigerators back then used ammonia to cool air down. Rudolf wondered if ammonia could perhaps work as engine fuel, too. He immediately began putting together a plan. But Rudolf's engineering dreams weren't the only thing on his mind. He was back in his childhood city of Paris and making decent money. Now he could finally live the life he'd always dreamed of, being an engineer by day and drinking alongside bohemian artists at night. In October 1882, some friends introduced Rudolf to a blonde-haired, blue-eyed German woman named Marta Fleischer. Rudolf was immediately smitten. The two had a lot in common. Much like Rudolf's mother, Marta was fluent in German, French, and English. She also shared his interests in the arts. What followed was a brief but intense courtship. By late November the following year, the pair was walking down the aisle. Over the next five years, the couple had three children, a daughter and two sons. But like most marriages, there were difficulties amidst these happy times. Rudolf had developed a habit of spending money faster than he could earn it. To add to his troubles, business at the refrigeration plant took a downturn in the mid-1880s. Suddenly, he was making half the amount as he used to. By the end of the decade, things had worsened. France was experiencing a period of heightened national pride. As a result, people were less willing to support German businesses like Linda's Refrigeration Company. Linda offered Rudolf a job in Berlin, hoping to give his protege a way out. Rudolf debated the move and ultimately decided in favor of it. In February 1890, he and his family packed their bags and took off for Germany. By that point, Rudolf had been developing plans for his ammonia engine for nearly 10 years. But when he showed his plans to Linda, his mentor told him it was nothing special. This harsh feedback helped Rudolf realize his idea wasn't as original as he thought. Plus, his engine still needed an external boiler to heat the ammonia fuel. 
which meant it was basically another variation of the already existing steam engine. He needed a more cutting-edge design to get the results he wanted. It was around this time Rudolph saw the effects of Nicholas Otto, a prominent engineer who'd recently invented an internal combustion engine. His iteration used a spark to ignite fuel and propel the engine's pistons. This gave Rudolph an idea. What if a spark wasn't necessary? Perhaps the heat could be produced by the compressed air itself. Rudolph didn't know it then, but this idea for a self-igniting compression engine would change the world. And his destiny. Coming up, Rudolph struggles to create a working engine amid blooming troubles. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations at Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Now, back to the story. In 1890, Rudolf Diesel and his family left Paris and moved back to Germany for a job opportunity. Around this time, Rudolf was refining an idea for an engine that used highly compressed air to create heat and ignite fuel. If he could pull it off, he'd have successfully brought to life the hyper-efficient engine he'd been dreaming of since university. Eager to get started, Rudolf drew up a blueprint and patented his ingenious new idea in 1892. Now, he just had to build it. And to do that, he needed money. A lot of it. To drum up support for his new invention, Rudolph published a book advertising the engine. It featured depictions and calculations explaining how it would work. Plus, it identified a myriad of ways Rudolph believed it could revolutionize society. He also made a point to argue that his compact, efficient engine could bolster smaller craftsmen and give them a chance against the big industry competitors. Rudolf sent his book to respected thermodynamics experts all over Europe, including famed British mathematician and physicist Lord Kelvin. By and large, the experts validated Rudolf's theories, and he used that momentum to gain financial backing. Then he got to building. Unfortunately, bringing the theoretical engine to life proved more difficult than anticipated. Rudolph encountered problem after problem. One of his early prototypes actually exploded. But Rudolph didn't consider the setback a failure. Instead, he saw it as a sign his concept had merit. After all, the heat compression had ignited the fuel. In his personal life, Rudolph continued to dig himself deeper into financial trouble. He wanted to give his family everything they deserved, but competing interests weighed him down financially. 
When the family moved back to Munich, Rudolf had rented a lavish apartment in a posh neighborhood, continuing his pattern of living above his means. Meanwhile, much of his earnings went to his parents, who now lived in Munich as well. The money troubles, combined with the stress of testing his engine, did a number on Rudolf's health. But he was convinced none of this would be a problem once he figured out his engine, which finally happened two years later. In 1897, after half a dozen test series, Rudolf and his manufacturing partners produced an internal combustion engine that used pressurized air to heat fuel. Unlike other engines at the time, which used petroleum, theirs used coal dust and peanut oils for fuel. This proved the importance of biofuels to Rudolf and influenced his later work with engine materials. Over the five years he spent developing it, Rudolf discovered it was impossible to produce an engine that perfectly replicated Carnot's cycle of cooling and heating. So, despite his best efforts, he had to alter his design, which impacted its productivity. The engine achieved 26% thermal efficiency. It wasn't the desired 73%, but still, it was twice as much as the closest competitor. In turn, Rudolf considered the project a success and, after some deliberation, christened it the Diesel Engine. To advertise his new invention, Rudolf gave lectures explaining and championing the machine. Like before, his goal was to interest investors, specifically manufacturers, so they would buy a license to the patent. But things weren't so simple. When Rudolf initially filed the patent, he failed to adequately explain his intentions. As a result, the patent office severely limited the protections he was granted against competitors. And the problems came trickling in. Engineer after engineer filed claims, accusing Rudolf of stealing their work. One in particular was a Frankfurt engineer named Emile Capitan. He challenged the patent so many times that Rudolf eventually paid him 20,000 marks just to stop. For comparison, the annual median wage at the time was about 665 marks. Luckily for Rudolf, the patent office typically sided with him, and he was allowed to continue the rollout of his engine as planned. Despite winning these patent battles, Rudolf took each of his fellow engineers' criticisms personally. But he did his best to remain focused. Even as the challenges continued, he shifted his attention to licensing deals with foreign manufacturers. According to some sources, the German government tried to talk him out of it. They suggested sharing the technology with other countries, particularly Great Britain, was high treason. But Rudolf seemingly ignored the warnings. Between 1897 and 1898, over 20 licenses had been secured across Europe and North America. As he started earning royalties for every engine sold, Rudolf was on track to becoming a millionaire. Rudolf moved his family to an extravagant home in Munich. He filled their apartment with the finest furnishings and attended fabulous performances at the opera. Rudolf even commissioned two oil portraits of him and his wife. 
each with a price tag of over a thousand marks. But the personal spending paled in comparison to his investments. Rudolph poured his money into oil and real estate, hoping to increase his already substantial wealth. Sadly, most of his ventures went belly up, and though he still had cash rolling in, the rising stakes that came with the production of his engine took a toll. Doctors worried Rudolph's mental health was on the decline. They advised him to step back from the daily operations around the rollout. Only, Rudolph was worried his absence would negatively impact the future of the business, so he ignored the doctor's orders and forged ahead. But by the fall of 1898, Rudolph found he could no longer ignore his mental health issues. He experienced a mental health crisis and checked himself into the Neuwittelsbach sanitarium at the edge of the city. By then, he was forced to take his doctor's warnings seriously. That September, Rudolph signed control of the development and licensing over to his newly created General Company for Diesel Engines, Inc. In other words, he surrendered his current ownership as well as his patent rights and future royalties to the corporation. In exchange, the company paid him in cash and stocks. It was a decision he would grow to regret. In January 1899, Rudolph left the sanitarium and went to a spa in the Alps to finish his recovery. He remained there until March. By the time he got back on his feet, Rudolph had been out of the business for nearly six months. It was around this time he made a series of rash decisions. In his hasty attempt to get his engine to market, Rudolph had rushed through the final stages of development. This led to several issues, which caused some engines to malfunction. He'd also sold licenses to several manufacturers without first ensuring their quality. As a result, factories produced subpar versions of his engine. Many customers were forced to return their purchases, which hurt the company's reputation. The cascading misfortunes didn't stop there. Some of the company's foreign manufacturers dropped their licenses altogether. One of his German companies went bankrupt, and his investments in Romanian oil ventures flopped, costing him considerably. Then there was his house. While at the sanitarium, Rudolph spent his time designing another new home to show off his ostentatious wealth. Only the most expensive, exotic materials were used to build it. There was even a crystal medallion above the gated entry. It bore the Latin inscription, Hic habitat felicitas nil mali intret. May good fortune live here and misfortune never enter. When his mansion was completed in 1901, the timing couldn't have been worse. The company's licenses were underperforming. He was also no longer receiving royalties from his patent licenses. And since he'd surrendered control over his invention, he had no real way of getting things back on track. Once again, Rudolph had taken apart the cuckoo clock and had no idea how to put it back together. But he had one more idea in his back pocket. One more idea that would allow him to capitalize on the fruits of his labor. 
Coming up, Rudolph's final known hours. Now back to the story. The early 1900s were a difficult time for Rudolf Diesel. From the outside, his empire seemed to be thriving. His engines were nearly twice as efficient as his competitors, and attention poured in from across the world. He and his family were living it up in Munich, Germany, in a mega mansion designed by Rudolf himself. But things weren't as perfect as they appeared. After experiencing a mental health crisis, Rudolf surrendered the rights to his invention to his corporation. With little money coming in and several ill-advised investments, he was strapped for cash. He struggled with the idea that his greatest achievements were behind him. But Rudolf was said to be a proud man and suffered these stresses alone. He continued keeping his financial troubles a secret from his wife, Marta. And despite having many wealthy friends, Rudolf refused to ask for money. Similarly, he declined the advice of financial experts, which could have helped him recover the finances still tied up in his investments. So in 1912, Rudolf acted impulsively, just as he had done before, this time throwing what little money he had left at one last-ditch effort. Though Rudolf no longer owned the rights to his engine, he figured owning a company that made his engine was the next best thing. So in March 1912, he partnered with a man named George Carrolls, who had licensed his engine in Belgium. The two constructed a state-of-the-art factory outside London, which was completed in 1913. Rudolf then planned a trip to England, hoping to cut the proverbial ribbon for its opening. He had high hopes the facility would produce quality engines that would reinvigorate his good name and his pocketbook. On September 29, 1913, 55-year-old Rudolf boarded a steamship called the SS Dresden in Antwerp, Belgium. Its final destination was Harwich, England, close to the factory. Rudolf was planning to stay even after the opening, since the new company's annual shareholders were meeting in London the following week. Rudolf didn't make the trip alone. He was accompanied by George Carrolls and their chief engineer, Alfred Luckman. The men checked in together, but strangely, they discovered Rudolph supposedly hadn't booked a cabin in advance. Still, the chief steward handled his arrangements right away. Set to arrive in England in the morning, the SS Dresden left the harbor around 7.30 p.m. On board, the three men sat together in the dining quarters, chatting and laughing as they ate. They then went for a stroll along the deck. Whatever troubles Rudolph may have had, they didn't seem apparent as he caroused with his colleagues. Carol's claimed Rudolph was in an excellent mood, making cheerful conversation. Around 10 p.m., as the ship neared what was then Flushing, Holland, Carol's announced he was going to bed. The other two men decided to follow suit and call it a night. Rudolph walked Carol's to his room, shook his hand, and said, See you tomorrow morning. The next day, before the ship docked at the pier, Carol's and Luckman sat down to breakfast. They waited for Rudolph to join them, only he never showed. 
Carols grew concerned. He went to Rudolph's cabin, thinking perhaps his friend had overslept. When he arrived outside Rudolph's door, he encountered a steward who was dropping off a morning beverage to Rudolph's cabin. Carols looked past the man and into the room, where he caught sight of Rudolph's belongings. According to multiple sources, his nightshirt lay smoothed out atop his tidy bed. An expensive gold watch was hanging over the handle of a handbag. Under Rudolph's pillow was a wallet with over 100 British pounds inside. Everything was in place for a good night's sleep, but the cabin had clearly not been slept in. Rudolph was mysteriously absent. Carols reported his missing friend to the purser, the employee in charge of tickets. He confirmed Rudolph's landing ticket had not been collected, meaning Rudolph couldn't have disembarked before them. They figured Rudolph had to be on the ship, but a thorough search confirmed that wasn't the case. That's when the captain got involved and the authorities were called. The police interviewed the ship's staff, trying to construct a timeline of the night. Apparently, after saying goodnight to his friends, Rudolph had exited his cabin and made conversation with a steward. Their chat wrapped up around 11 p.m., after which no one saw the inventor again. The Night Watch didn't report seeing any strange behavior on the deck the night before. Neither did the handful of passengers who'd been milling about. It was as if Rudolph Diesel had vanished into thin air. Within days, newspapers all over the world were reporting on his disappearance. Some theorized the engineer had faked his death, while others speculated he was murdered by secret agents working for Imperial Germany. The most chilling rumor was that Rudolph had jumped off the ship. Then, a clue emerged. Eleven days after the disappearance, a fisherman discovered a body floating near the mouth of the Scheldt River near Flushing, Holland. He brought the body aboard and removed several items from the victim's pockets, but he was later forced to throw the body overboard when he encountered bad weather. It was never identified or found again. One of Rudolph's sons was called to examine the items retrieved. He verified they did belong to his father, but there were still doubts as to whether or not the body had been Rudolph's. Rudolph's family vehemently denied any rumors of death by suicide. They insisted that if Rudolph was dead, he must have fallen overboard by accident. He was known to have insomnia. Perhaps he was on the deck late at night, the boat was jostled by an unexpected wave, and he slipped. But many, including several news outlets, found this explanation unsatisfactory. On October 15th, the New York Times fueled the fire by reporting the millionaire inventor had gone bankrupt. At a meeting of his debtors, it was revealed Rudolf Diesel owed $375,000 and only had about $10,000 in assets. The emperor, it seemed, was wearing no clothes. Rudolf Diesel never knew the full impact he had on the world. Nevertheless, his legacy has spawned many conspiracy theories about his unexpected disappearance, many of which endure to this day. 
Next time, we'll explore two of those theories. First, that Rudolf Diesel was murdered by Germany's Secret Service. Second, we'll discuss whether Rudolf Diesel faked his own death. Or if he did, as the papers claimed, die by suicide. Rudolf Diesel's ultra-efficient engine was just starting to gain steam with both industrial and military applications, particularly in sea travel. His life was filled with so much potential, and his legacy was just starting to unravel. The question is, did someone consider him a threat? Or did he live to see it unfold after all? Today's episode dealt with intense themes of suicide and mental health-related issues. If you or someone you know is going through a crisis, you can contact the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. They're available 24 hours a day, seven days a week at 988. Or you can speak to them online at 988lifeline.org. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. For more information on Rudolf Diesel, amongst the many sources we used, we found Diesel's Engine, The Man and the Evolution of the World's Most Efficient Internal Combustion Motor by C. Lyle Cummins to be extremely helpful to our research. We'll be back next time with a new episode. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from ParCast, executive produced by Max Cutler. Our head of programming is Julian Boireau. Our supervising sound designer is Russell Nash, with Nick Johnson as our head of production. Quality control by Lisa Marie Gallegos. Ryan O'Leary-Jones is our supervising editor, and Derek Jennings is our writing lead. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Danny Messerschmidt, edited by Wendelin Sobrozo and Lori Gottlieb, fact-checked by Kevin Johnson, researched by Sapphire Williams, recorded by Freddie Rivera, produced by Joshua Kern, and sound designed by Juan Borda. Our hosts are Molly Brandenburg and me, Carter Roy. 